0: Thank you so much for tuning in as we dive into Ephesians chapter 4 uh, verses 4 through 6 and some others. So uh, you'll want to find your way there because that's where we're going to end up and then we're going to jump to Ephesians 1. So basically if you can find Ephesians, you're going to be good. You're going to be good. But before we go any further, let's pray together. Let's just uh, let's just put everything that's happened so far today or is going to happen in its right place, which is in submission and obedience to God. God, we pray that you will help us to just be focused on what your word means. Not only what does your word mean in truth and your intention behind it, but also what's it mean for us? Like, What are we supposed to do about this when we hear these truths out of your word? How is it to help us to become a better Christian, to become more like Christ, to live that way, to to bring you glory and and make disciples in gospel-centered ways? So Lord, may you lay bare all that is within us and anything that keeps us from you. And we also pray for our country and our community, our neighbors, Lord, that we might be a great example to them. May you help them in their hurts and their pains. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now, when we're in this one series, we're looking specifically at one father So we're going to read through some scriptures here in a second and and look at what it is to have one father. We all have one father, but specifically Christians, they interact with God in a unique way that non-Christians, those who aren't saved, those who haven't had a confession of faith, those who aren't saved by grace, not by works, uh, because you can't be saved by works at all. It's just a mirage of security. All of those who haven't interact with God in a different way than Christians do. So we're going to look at sort of the fatherly relationship that God has with other people. Now, the challenge here, and, and part of God's heartbeat on this, is that God's concerned that we would choose to deny His love for a lesser love. That we would have all that we are and all the way in in something else. It could be a spouse. It could be a fiancé. It could be a roommate. It could be work it could be something that we do it could be our own self that we love more than god and the problem is is god's like look i don't like i don't want you to settle for that and settle's probably the nicest word i could choose because quite honestly those those who choose first in their life to love anything other than god and to have god's love be primary in their life is is really settling for leftovers out of the garbage can of life as opposed to the very best caviar that God's got to offer and his strength in those difficult times all that he has there when you rely on anything else more than God you're going to needlessly suffer you're not going to have the strength you need the wisdom to make right choices where you work worship live or recharge you're not going to be able to be all that God accredited you to and by the way desires in heaven for you to do that so let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 kind of the source of of this text where we have one father, Paul's talking to the Ephesians and encouraging them, no matter what gods you're surrounded by, no matter what's going on in culture, no matter what's happening over there or in the other homes or in other communities, this is what binds and unites us. This is a creedal statement in which we believe. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, which is the invitation of salvation. Verse 5 one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And we're going to hone in on what it is to have one Father. And I know that there are, uh, well, across the entire listening and viewing audience, there are people out there that have all kinds of different dads. Some of you don't know your dad. Some dads died younger. Some of you had great dads, good dads, better dads, worse dads. Some of you are like, if this is what being a father is, I don't want to have any part of that. And you're not having kids because your dad was so bad. Or you are having kids and family because your dad was so great and he was such a good example. A godly Christian example. I I know that when we talk about one father and God as the father that he relates us to, that is going to just bring about a lot of memories and emotions. Good and bad and everywhere in between. Because we all have different dads. Uh, We all have different people. We may even be raised... Not by a biological father, but by like a, a stepdad or... Or um, something like that. Then not to mention sort of the spiritual dads we have. The, the, the men in our lives that are older than us that example Jesus Christ. Or the men in our lives that are older than us that don't example Christ in Christian teachings. And how that hurts and harms us. So when you talk about fathers, I understand that there's a lot of stuff there mixed up into that. And everybody's got kind of a different story and a uniqueness. That's why the one father is so awesome. That's why it's so powerful. So let's just look at, let me me just share with you the one thing first. Let's look at the one thing uh, that we have here. Uh, The fatherly love of God towards his children is irreplaceable. The fatherly love of God towards his children, the Christians, is irreplaceable. Now, let's just talk about this word father here for a second. And God is the father of, of everything, uh, all the stars, he's given them names, uh, all of creation. We're specifically looking at the component and definition as it's referenced here, one God and father of all. So God over Christians and God over um, uh, you know non-Christians and all of humanity, where all, every person on the planet is made into the image of God. Read in Genesis. It'll tell you that. Read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It'll show you that. But what we're looking at specifically is God's relationship with the Christian because it is um, unique and special and intimate. So, a Christian are those who have been um, saved by grace through faith. They have an intimate and close relationship with God because of first. Corinthians 15, where Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, Christians, and then rose again according to scriptures by the power of God. So as a Christian, we have a close and intimate relationship with God the Father that um, non-Christians just simply don't have. We revere Him as someone who's reconciled us and as a loving Father. But I can tell you, before I was saved, before I was saved, I mean, I, I tend to interact with God in, in dread. Because I knew that He was someone who who was a stern judge, and rightly so, over the sin that was in the world. And but I mean the world, I mean the sin that was in me. So my relationship with God before I was saved was one of judgment. I was against God. I was against what He taught. I was against His people. I didn't want to have anything to do with His church, His body of believers, the Christians, all of that. And that created so much hardship and unnecessarily fake, not filled happiness in my life. It was just so fleeting. But for the Christian, they revere him. They love him. They're they're thankful for the salvation that they have and this close, intimate relationship with God. Now, I'll say this about God. I think it's so true. I can't remember who said it, but God doesn't play favorites, but he does have intimates. So he values and puts dignity, uh, worth in every person on the planet, a great high value. But for those that are Christians, he's able to have a more intimate relationship. That's why the fatherly love of God towards children is irreplaceable. Because nothing can match it. Nothing can replace it. Nothing's going to ever be as good as God's fatherly love towards his kids. I mean, it's just not. If you're a dad and you've ever had kids or or you have kids or however that works, you've got all kinds of things happening and going on where you you're just you love your kids a little differently. I've even even heard some parents say, Look, I don't even like kids. I like my kids, but I don't like their kids. I get that. I can understand that. I've got kids too. And there's just a special bond that happens with these kids that you help bring to life. That God has breathed in them and brought them into existence. So when you think about this different Uh, definition, we're going to look at a lot of good things of what this is God the Father is. And as we look at those, you have to know salvation comes first. If you're not a Christian and you're watching this or listening to this on your way to work, you need to know that it's time to step away from the darkness of my own way mentality. Stop living as an, an orphan in this world like there is no great father out there that would love you and care for you and provide for you. But instead, come home to rest in the forgiving, providing, and loving justness of God the Father, where your sins are forgiven and your adoption is guaranteed. All your wrongdoing, all your wrong thinking, all of that forgiven, because of Jesus' life, His death on the cross, and His resurrection. So that's what you see. So let's we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 10. And, and this is God the Father. If you want to know what God's like, if you have any answers to life, you always go to the Bible first. Then after you find this passage of scriptures and read it, then you do that. Because look, if you want to know someone, who better to go to than that individual person? What are you like, right? That's why we date and have courtship and that's why we have meetings and get to know the other employees that we work with and our boss or those that are underneath it, we, get, we meet with them to know them better and spend more time. If you want to know what God's like, spend time in this passage of scriptures, Ephesians 1, 3 through 10, because this is God the Father. And these are all good truths that are coming to the Christians specifically. And if you're not saved by grace through faith, and if you don't believe that Jesus is God's only son and that God raised him from the dead, then you're not a Christian. And you need to be saved. You need to just finally lay it down and let Jesus be the Lord, leader, and love of your life. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 3 here. And we're going to understand under this heading of spiritual blessings, uh, spiritual good things in Jesus Christ for the Christian, it really, the Bible just gives us a really good look at who God the Father is. So, verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, this passage of Scriptures help us to understand the truth of Romans 8.31, that God is for His children. God is for Christians. Look, we're saved. He, he's the Father of Lord Jesus Christ. We are blessed through Jesus with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We don't know a ton about heaven. We don't. Because the Bible has very few passages, of scriptures, but what we do know is it's beyond our imagination great. And this passage shows that the way God is in heaven, He's also being on earth. That He doesn't deny anything from His kids. He's for Christians. So Christian, maybe just breathe out a little bit. Christian, maybe just live free a little bit. Worry less. Be bold and courageous more. Share the truth and love in better ways. Because God's for you. He's for his plan and for his will that's in your life. He created you for a purpose and wants you to fulfill it. That's what God the Father wants. I'm for my kids. I have three kids. I'm for them. I want God's will and plan in their life, in everything they do, whether it's sports or church or friends or neighbors or interacting with themselves and each other as a family. I'm for them and I want their very best. And God the Father is exactly the same way. It's, it's time for Christians to just realize that God does discipline us and he does judge us, but that's for our own good. But he is ultimately for us. That's why he does this. For the good and perfect so we may receive it. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians chapter 1. So good. Just understanding more about God the Father. Isn't it just nice to know that God's, God's for his kids? He's for us. He, he's giving us every spiritual blessing. Look at verse 4 even as he chooses us in him before the foundation of the world. So before Genesis 1, God chooses his kids. That we should be holy and blameless before him. I don't know about you. I don't always feel homeless, holy, and I'm definitely not blameless. I mean, I'm just not. I'm not always blameless. I'm not perfect. But Jesus Christ is. And I stand behind him and follow Christ. And Christ vouches for me and, and, and died for me and died for you as a Christian. And he sees us as holy and blameless before him. I love this. You should circle this, highlight it, uh, you know, whatever you do, bookmark it in your Bible, on your app. He holy and blameless before him in love. So in love. God's just doing all of this out of love. Not some grumpy, long-haired, white-bearded guy that's just like, ooh, they're messing up my stuff and I'm so mad. It's more of like, look, in love, he predestined us for what? I love that word. Adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This is the, maybe one of the lonelier verses in the Bible, but it's John 3, 17. That God desires that everyone would be a part of the family of God through Jesus Christ. So here's what God the Father is. God isn't trying to kick people out of heaven. He isn't even trying to keep people out of heaven. That's what the devil does. That's what sinful people do. But the irreplaceable love of the Father God is saying, I want everybody in my house. You ever had that growing up? I did. It wasn't my house, but there were other houses were like the, the, the house that had the best snacks. So you'd be playing around your neighborhood and growing up and you'd go over to that house for snacks. Then this kid had the best toys and this kid had a swimming pool and, and this kid had access to the beach. So you'd go over to his house and you had all of these great things and you just go in your trouble. So God's like, look, I've got all these spiritual blessings just waiting for you. And he desires for every single person to come into that home for all as John 3 17 says, I sent my son to not condemn the world, but to save the world through him so that none would perish. Every person that finds himself in hell when they die, is not there because that's what God desired for them. They're there because that's what they chose for themselves. But God doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want that for you. His fatherly love is irreplaceable. And we can all see dads on this planet that, that don't love their kids. And they do harm to their kids. And it's a tragedy and it's, it's despicable, but they do. But that's not how God is. He desires that everyone should be saved. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8 of Ephesians chapter 1. This is God the Father, right? He's for His children. He desires that everyone should be saved, every person that you meet, everyone that hates you, mistreats you. God desires for them to be saved. Look at verse 6. So He does this to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved in Him we have redemption through His blood, Jesus's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses when we violate God's will, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So, what really kind of jumped out at me of that was obviously redemption through Jesus's death on the cross, forgiveness of our trespass. You know, there's no trespassing signs you're violating what is out there and what's right and true. But I love the part at the end of verses seven and eight, where it says, according to the riches of his grace, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And I just studied on that for a little bit and found the verses where it just like, look, remember when I talked about God's great concern is God's great concern uh, for you is that you would choose to deny his love for a lesser love, that you'd settle for something less than his perfect, great and holy will. The Bible tells us that who better can provide for us other than God. He has a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. Every forest beast. He knows every bird. Everything that moves in the field. The world in His fullness, the Bible says, um, is His. All of these verses are telling us and showing us, and you could talk to any Christian and go, look, I've tried to do stuff on my own and it just wasn't as sweet as what God provided for me. A gospel-centered, God-honoring vacation is way more restful than a man-made, itinerary-driven one that we do ourselves. A job that you are just struggling in to love and enjoy is completely flipped on its head and different when God's in the middle of that job and you see that as a mission field for people to experience God and Jesus' love through you. That spouse, that roommate, that neighbor, everything in this world that is meant for evil or for hurt or just isn't quite what it is and you know something's off, completely gets redeemed and transformed only when the Father's love flows through us. Only then. What's the answer to all of your problems? God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It's it's loving God with all that you are and loving your neighbor the same way as yourself. That's the goal. So you look at this and go, man... His glorious grace, He lavishes upon us in wisdom and insight. So He gives us proper insight. He knows when to lavish and how to do it in a way that is most helpful and right and brings about joy for us. His grace and His forgiveness, the forgiveness of trespassing. He doesn't hold grudges because He finds freedom. But those who don't have forgiveness, you're against God. And He remembers that. And He remembers that. I think about this this talking here. of Well, let me just say this. There's no better father you'll ever have, no matter how great your dad was, than God the Father. There just isn't. And I pray that all of you have had wonderful dads and that all of you were. And and, and sometimes maybe you weren't the best dad and, and that's okay. We're not always there. There's, there's grace for that. And, and God makes room for that for us to find forgiveness. But for all of those who had awesome dads, that's just a, a stepping stone to the incredible deep richness that's there. But if you're sitting there at the dad's like a cattle on a thousand hills, man, my dad never gave me nothing. Maybe that's you. I don't know. Maybe you're somebody who's like, man, my dad, I had to work over in spite of being my dad. When I think about my dad, I just think about what would my dad do? And then I do the opposite of that. And God's just sitting there going, look, you don't have to be Unloved. Or unnecessarily suffer any longer. You don't have to be without strength and wisdom and insight in what you should do. Maybe your dad's already gone to heaven. And maybe he's already passed into eternity. And you can't ask him like you used to always do for advice. But God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's there for you. And I would just assure you, this God that has a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. That every beast and bird he knows. And everything that moves and the whole fullness of the world that is his That in Christ we have access through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just just turn your eyes to Him. Focus on Him. Verses 9 and 10. Let's look at those of Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and who God is. Now, this is is interesting. We're going to spend just a little time here. Um, Making known to us. Who's us? The Christians. His kids. Making known to us the mystery of His will. uh, According to His purpose for the world. Which is salvation and redemption. Uh, And so that others will be saved, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. When time is completed to unite, listen to this, you should underline this too, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So God's great plan is in the fullness of time. Eventually it's all united, all things together as one family doing that. And that's for the Christians, right? That's for us. Because the non-Christians, they go to a different place. They, they're separated from God forever. But in the fullness of time, when time has run out and that last second has ticked by and we're in forever, whether God calls us home or you're just taken home, then you will see what this is about. So what is it to unite all things? And, and what grabbed me was this part about the fatherly love that not only wants to unite things in heaven, but also things on earth. And I was like, what is, th- what is that? Like, what does that look like? So I just started thinking in my own example, like if things are united in my home, what does that example, how does that put forth? And God led me to two great big chunks of passage of Scripture, which I'm not going to read, but I am going to highlight. And I would encourage you to go back to that. So let's just look at the things on earth that God's wanting to unite. The things on earth that God's wanting to do. What is that? So first of all, right now, it's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you've been a Christian of any time, Don't just go, oh, I know what that is, and then not read it. You should go read Acts 2, 42 through 47. But when God looks down on his kids and goes, when my kids are out there and they're away from home, because this earth's not home. With God's home, heaven's home. But when my kids are out there, I hope they example and model the godly ways that we've set in the house of God which is how my parents were when they sent me out. They wanted me to embody and be respect and and be a good example of what it is to be a a Swartz family member. And God looks at us and goes, I want you to example the same thing. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see the fellowship of believers. We basically see the Christians coming together, living in gospel-centered community, their community well. And I want to hit some highlights on this to give you some real things to wrestle with where you work, worship, live, and recharge, so that you can dive in and go, this is the picture of what God wants for us, not division, not disunity, not discrepancies, not denominational lines, but for us to work as the body of God, all attached in our way. So in acts chapter two forty two through forty seven we see that. All the Christians devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And they saw many signs and wonders that were done. And those who believed came together and they had all things in common. They're selling their possessions. They're sharing and distributing their belongings as those who had need. They're attending temple together. They're having church in their homes. They received food with glad and generous hearts. They're praising God and having the favor of all the people that were around them. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You want to talk about the Father's love, uniting and binding Christians in an irreplaceable way on this planet today. It's you living out to Acts 2, 42-47 in all arenas of your life. I find this to be convicting and challenging at the same time. It's uh, sweet and sour chicken. Ooh, that tastes sweet. And ooh, it's a bit sour. Because this is how my home should be. And this is how I should be living with the local Christians that are in uh, my church that I pastor over. But not only that, I should be living this way with the other pastors in their churches as well. Yeah, 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 but they, that, that's what they did back then. That's just how they kind of got the church going and then that spun out. But when you read the scriptures, that's what Paul is trying to push them to in every city. Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, all those cities trying to get them to live and work as one family. Which you know how it is. If your family might be scattered all across the globe for that matter. But you're still family. You're still united. You've still got ways you were brought up and, and things you were taught to do what's right. This is what God desires here. The right now is a fellowship of believers. It's a gospel-centered community living in a way and meeting needs. And And I love what they say when we do that. There are praises from God that grow up, even from people who don't love Jesus, but they still praise Him and they have favor with the people. And their number grows each day, those who are being saved. I mean, that's the ticket, guys. That's it. That's how the family is united and lives with all things on earth. That's why the fatherly love is so irreplaceable because who does that? Nobody else does that but Christians because no one else has the fortitude to lay down their time, talents, and treasures so that the Lord Jesus will tell them how to use it. Everybody else does it for themselves or on their own or because some other false God tells them to or or cultural trend does. This next thing, the last thing. This is what's coming soon. Um, it's it's out of Revelations 19, which you're like what Revelations? There's a lot of good truth and encouragement in Revelations. So Revelations 19 six through ten, the marriage supper of the Lord. This is where we start seeing gospel-centered multiplication, right? We we see the earth in Acts two working. Then we fast forward ahead to what is coming soon. And regardless of what you believe about the end times, you can read the Bible and it tells you. Be warned if you're not saved. Be prepared if you are. So we look at this passage of Scripture in Revelations 19, 6-10, which you should read, and all of a sudden we see the goal which we're heading to, where we're hoping to get. And it says that John saw a great multitude of people, a voice of great multitude rising up. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory. As the marriage of the Lamb has come with the bride and she has made herself ready. Herself, she is clothed in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen, watch this. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints, the actions of God's kids on the earth. That's what we clothe ourselves in for, for the great marriage with Christ in eternity. And then it goes on and talks about, blessed are all those who are invited, John 3, 17, everybody, to the marriage of the Lamb and actually receive the true words. I am a fellow servant with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. You know who said that? An angel angel referred to us as Christians as brothers when John saw him and that angel he fell down on his feet and worshiped him and the angel's like no get up because I like you and your brothers and sisters in Christ I worship God that's who we should focus man God's great concern is that you'll choose a lesser love in your life as most important as to him but look at the one thing Look at the one thing. The one thing reminds us of what's so important about God's fatherly love. God's fatherly love towards His children is irreplaceable. It's it's time to stop putting anything else first in your life other than the love of God the Father. You're okay because so-and-so or this or that, a person, place, or thing. And just let the fatherly love of God do that. So some are going to be saved and we're going to pray for you and pray with you in a moment. And some who are saved, we need to remember that we might be trying to replace God's love with other things. But that really is the answer. Everything has its truest meaning and its truest purpose when we live out God's fatherly love. And if you're not living for God and being loved by Him first and foremost then you're settling for a lesser love. Like you have no idea the depths of strength that come in the hardness of life when you serve for the Lord. All you're getting is the hardness and there's no way out except through Jesus and through God the Father. So let's pray together. God, we pray that you will help us to live for you more and more each and every day. And we want to think about those and we're praying about right now for those in our family and in our workplaces, everywhere we go, that don't know your great love, Father. They've not experienced the lavishness of every spiritual blessing when they're sick in the hospital, when they're fearful at home watching the news, when they're unemployed and can't find a job. They wonder and they hurt and, and they question because they're living like a self imposed orphan. Someone who refuses to come home to the greatest love that they would ever know, the love of a father, a perfect and holy one, God. So now we pray for all of you who are not saved, and we ask that you just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What does that mean? Just that you will just call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Joel, two, thirty-two. Call on the name of the Lord. Realize the wages of your sin is death. You don't want to go to hell, and you don't want to live in it anymore. That darkness is destructive. But the heavenly light of God and living in Jesus, there is no better way. It's hard, but there's no better way to live. So we pray for you as Christians that you'd be saved right now and you wouldn't wait and that you'd just tell someone that you are. God, forgive me for my sins. Be Lord, leader, and love of my life, Jesus. And for those who are Christians, might we remember the greatness of the fatherly love that we have. That we would no longer hold back anything that you offer to others, through us. And that we just simply live for you. And that we wouldn't let anything replace it. Which means instead of doing this, we were going to, might study our Bible. Instead of listening to that, we're going to listen to your word and what you're saying to us. And, and spend good, intimate, close time with you. And that we're going to act out like in Acts 2:42 through 47. So that, when we're clothed in the fine linen of the deeds of the saints, we'll be able to stand before you and praise you for all the great stuff that you did. Use us, Lord, to show your love to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great and wonderful rest of the day.